In regards to those girls that were killed, Anna was supposed to go with them. And at the last minute, she backed out. And you know how tragic that was. But when I heard that, the scripture popped into my head. I think it's Proverbs 3, 6. That says, you commit your ways to the Lord, and he will direct your path. Now, to me, what that means is that we allow Jesus the flexibility of interrupting our day, interrupting our plan, and adjusting and throwing a detour in our path every now and then. That we need not be so rigid in our own planning, in our own thoughts, that we do not allow him to move and minister to us. You see, there's benefits to being his children. There's benefits to serving him. See, he has overcome the world. What that means is he has taken control of the world. He has taken control of the evil one. Whereas, as his children, he renders no ill upon his people. That verse hit me so forceful this week. How glad I am that he's our God, that he loves his children, and that he interrupts the plans of those that trust him. We have a lot to be thankful for. Amen. That's a good word, Dick. Thanks for sharing that. That's the kind of God we serve. Amen? Amen. I want to welcome our guests with us this morning. Thank you for being with us. And um, we just really do our best as people to allow the Holy Spirit to run our services. We just want relationship with Jesus. We don't want... We're not bent into... Even though we like organization, we like order, we like that. Everybody's more comfortable with order. But we really want the Holy Spirit to be in control of our services, amen? We really want relationships to be mended. We really want this to be a place of healing. We want this to be a place of getting closer to Jesus. So that when you go out into your world t- tomorrow, or even later this afternoon, that you're stronger, that you're more prepared, that you're ready to handle the, f- the issues of life. Not that we just come here to get an emotional high, but we get stronger character-wise because we have Jesus built up in our hearts and our lives. Because like I said earlier, we don't get this anyplace else in the world. This is such a unique spot. This is such a unique location. And it's not just in this four four walls, but it's this people, this body of people that come together for a united purpose, and that is to serve Jesus and to praise him and to worship him. That's so powerful. So therefore, when we have times like this, I know it might seem like, let's just get to the next point, let's move on. But man, sometimes we just need to linger. We just need to linger in the presence of God and just say, thank you, Jesus, for loving us so much. Amen? Is it good? Amen. Well, this is 2015, and uh, there's a new year coming, isn't there? We had 2014 that was good or bad. It's gone. It's past. 
But we have a new year coming. And uh, I want to talk this morning, I want to take off a little bit more of what we were speaking last week. We were talking about looking backwards to look towards our future. Today I want to speak about living in the moments of life, good and bad. And then next week I want to talk about pressing on towards the future. And I believe that the Lord will help us as we look at where we're going. But last week we spoke about how important it is to look backwards every so often in our process of looking forward so we know where we've been, where we're going. We realize that there was much to learn as we evaluate our recent history and by being aware of the, the wake that we make by our boat of life. We go through these no-wake zones of life where we're, we're responsible for the wakes that we make. And um, so we're to look backwards and to see what's happening with our experiences. Are we making good things or bad things? And then also we discovered that by looking backwards, we can also see if we're going straight or not by looking at our prop wash. And um, a few things I want to just quickly review this morning was that the reason that we look backwards as a way to prepare for our future is that we, do, we, we think about three or four different things. Number one, that, that we remember our firm foundation that is built upon the rock versus the sand, the rock of God's word. And that is to keep us from wandering away from the truth. As the days become more evil, as we know they're going to become, there's going to be more temptation to wander away from the truth of God's word. There's going to be more teachings that are going to be coming to us that are going to be half-truths or false teachings. And the way that we recognize a false truth or a a off-base teaching is by knowing that we have a firm foundation. And so sometimes we have to look backwards to, to that, to make sure that our foundation that we're building upon is true and it's strong. We also need to look backwards sometimes to learn from our mistakes in our recent past so that we don't repeat them over and over again. And we learn from them, that we make amends for the hurts that we may have caused by some of the choices that we've made as another reason. And then fourthly is that we take the necessary steps to correct our heading if we find that we strayed off course a little bit. So looking backwards is a very important thing every so often as we move forward. Now, we don't want to look backwards to the point that we lose the direction that we're going forward. We can't live in our past, obviously, but we have to be aware of our past, and we have to be aware of that so that we can then have the plans to move forward. And as we look to these things, and as we commit to do the things that the past has revealed to us to make us better, not bitter, as we look backwards and see what God is intending to do with those things, that it truly, truly, truly can help us as we look to the moments of life that we're living through as we are moving towards our future. Now, um, i got to tell you, I had a hard week, as I know some other people have had a hard week this week. And not just because of the last 24 hours that we've learned, but previous to that, I mean, back on last Monday, I was hit pretty, pretty hard with some discouragements. I know there were some people that were hit pretty hard with some physical ailments. And, you know, I don't think it's just coincidence. I, I think the devil, I think the devil clearly has an attack strategy on our church and on other churches that are moving with the Spirit, that are trying to follow the Lord's plan. And sometimes those things that come, up, uh, come upon us can really rock us, can really rock our world if we're not sure of what our foundation is. And um, 
And I know the devil doesn't like us to teach God's word, does he? How many know that? How many recognize the fact that the enemy wants us to get off base when it comes to teaching God's word? He does not want us to teach the truth because the truth does what to the devil? What does the truth do to the devil? Tell me. It, what's it do? What's that? It exposes him. Yeah. What else does it do to the devil? Yeah, his father of lies, so he hates the truth. Exposes him. What, what else does it do? Sets us free. Truth sets us free. Amen. The truth neutralizes the devil's plans. It takes the teeth out of everything that he has. Yeah. So it's important that we study God's word and we know the truth. Sometimes the truth isn't what we want to hear. We recognize that, don't we? But yet the truth is what is, need, is, is absolutely what's needed for us. So this morning, as we talk about our topic for the day, and that is how do we live in the moments, I want to focus on how we live successfully in the moments, successfully in the moments of life that sometimes can be so difficult, so overwhelming, so daunting, so dark, so depressing. How do we get through some of those moments that way successfully? And, and when we have those times... It, life can just seem to close in on us. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm not trying to bring you down. I'm just trying to get a reality check here. Sometimes we understand that dis- depression and discouragement is real, folks. It's real, and it comes against believers just as much as it comes, comes against unbelievers. So you recognize that. So we need to know where we've come from in that regard. But, but when we have those moments, like we, sung, like we sang about today already, God is with us all times. God is in those moments just as much as he's in the moments when everything is well. God is never, he never leaves us. He's never leaving us alone. We are not going through this life alone. We are going through this life with God at our side. That's a promise. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Our text for this morning is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 16 and 17. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Our light and momentary troubles are doing something for us. Do you know that? Do you know the problems that you're having in your life today? If you are a follower of Christ, if you are a child of the Most High, do you know the troubles in your life, the moments of life? are doing something for you. They are achieving something for you. What are they achieving? What are they achieving? What's the word say right here? An eternal glory. That the light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs the negative of the problem. See, even though that everything we may see in this world is spinning wildly out of control... Paul encourages us not to lose heart. He encourages us with that. And, and what we see with our physical eyes may be very disheartening, but we don't see it all, do we? We don't see life in its entirety. We see a little sliver of life. Janine mentioned this in Sunday school today, which I believe is, she did an awesome job. Come to Sunday school, adult. Janine Pung is our new teacher, and she's, it's going to be really good. So come and participate in our Sunday school Bible study classes. But, but Janine mentioned it, that we see just a very sliver of life where God sees the whole picture. 
And therefore, God is, is able, because of that, he, he's able to use the momentary problems of life that we see as so daunting and so overwhelming, he sees as those are something that he's going to use to achieve for us something that is going to be glorious, eternally glorious. God uses all the momentary troubles to bring us eternal rewards. God takes all things, good or bad, and uses them for eternal good. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We probably all have this memorized. And we know that in all things, how many things? All things. God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Amen. That gives us a lot of encouragement, doesn't it? That God uses all things for his good, and he will achieve mighty things of the, of the moments of our life. Paul understood how difficult the moments of life are. And we're going to spend some more time here later discovering this is so. We're going to come back to understanding some of the difficulties of Paul's life. So let me, here's the question. How do we live in the moment? How do we live in the moment of our daily living when life can be so hard? How do we do this? How do we accomplish God's plan in the difficulties of life? Well, in order to live successfully in the moment, one must first have a proper understanding of what it means to have an eternal future based upon God's word. Let me repeat that. That's very important. For me to be able to live successfully in the moment, I must first, I must first have a good understanding of what God's word says about my future. When I understand my future, my moments are more um, explainable. Are more, I'm more able to live through them. Last week, we talked about the, um, the example of the, the boat. And a Christian person keeping their eyes focused on Jesus is like driver, the captain of that boat. If I am going to set a, set a, 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 a proper path, I either have to set my path on a compass heading or on a landmark that doesn't move. And if I'm going to go straight, I either keep that compass heading, my, my ship on that compass heading or on that perfect path straight forward if I'm going to go forward to that location in a boat or in an airplane. Rick knows as a pilot, same thing. We have to look down the range. We have to look way ahead and pick a point in the, in the location that doesn't move. We're not talking about don't, fo don't focus on another boat and make that your, your, your primary point of target because that boat's going to move. No, focus on a, a landmark. Focus on a lighthouse. And say, I'm going to put my focus on that way out destination and then I'm going to track my progress. Well, that's what it is in a Christian's life. If I'm going to be able to live in my moments, I have to put my future way out in eternity. I have to put my, my future based on the rock of God's word and keep my focal point there, keep my eyes on Jesus there. And as I, as I do that, then I'm able to navigate life with a long-term focal point. Very important that we do that. that. That helps me be able to live successfully in the moments. Now, the question is, does that mean that people that don't have a relationship with Jesus, that don't have the promise of eternal life, does that mean that they're not happy living in the moments because they don't have that eternal future lined up for them? Does that mean that they don't have happiness? Well, what do you think? It appears that they do, doesn't it? 
It appears that, that a person that's not living for Jesus can be very happy in the moment. But appearances can be deceiving, can't they? What they appear to be doing and what they're really doing um, is not always reality. They can appear to be much happier, in all honesty, than a professing Christian. Because some Christians don't appear very happy, <laughs> do we, sometimes? And there's a lot of people living in the world that appear to be much happier than we are. Let's not be confused by that. I guess the question that we need to look at is, what does it really mean when I use the word successful? What does it really mean to be living successfully in the moment? Well, let's define successfully a little bit. To be successful in the moment doesn't necessarily mean that every moment is going to be filled with the feelings of happiness and comfort. If I'm basing my my successful definition based upon how I feel, that's like setting my course heading on another boat and saying that I'm going to make that my focal point because that boat, I have no idea where that boat's going to go. And if I'm charting my course on another movable object, that's basically like me charting my life on my feelings because we all know how they change, don't they? If I think that my successful moments are based upon if I'm feeling good or if I'm happy or if I have enough money in the bank or if I'm healthy or if my marriage or my, relation, my relationships with people are good, if everything that I'm basing that on are on the ifs of how good I feel, then I'm, then I'm in a really, I'm, I'm in a great spot for deception. I'm in a great spot for the enemy to come in and really play games with me. See, if all or most of my definitions are in the good category, the feeling good category, in, in other words, if I'm feeling good, then I must be living successfully in the moment. If that's what my definition is. And, uh, and believe me, I am not against feeling good in the moment. Okay, so don't get me wrong here. I am not in any way saying that Christians, uh, to be a proper Christian, you have to feel bad. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, I think that we should feel joy. We should feel good in the moments. But if I'm making my definition, therefore, then what I'm saying is that the writer, Paul, the writer of most of the New Testament, he wasn't very successful in living in the moments of his life because his life was not marked by feeling good. His, mar his life was not marked by having all the, uh, all the softness of life. No, his life was very hard. He was a very persecuted man. So I want to try to set the expectations for us as Christians here that when we look at living in the moment, that we're not basing it all upon my feelings of goodness or feeling good or comfort or peace or health or strength or all that. I want to base it on the rock of the foundation of who Jesus Christ is. That's the only way that I can live successfully in the moment. If I look at Paul's life, let's read about Paul. Paul talks about how the things he went through in his life. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 23. This is Paul speaking. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. 
I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul was not a very successful man living in the moment, was he? <laughs> if, we're basing, if we're basing our successful moments as happy and comfort-filled and gaining the American dream, then Paul was a failure at living in the moment. But that's not what God's Word's all about, is it? That's really not Paul. To be, to, to be successful living in, in the moment has nothing to do with our personal happiness or our comfort. It's so important that we understand that, even though there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with feeling good. We all want that, and it's good. Nothing wrong with that. But to be successful in the moment is to allow God to make that moment a, a rewardable moment for all eternity. That I allow God to step in, like Dick said today earlier, that I allow him to get in and change my plans. I allow him to get in and change the course of my direction that I allow him to have the authority in my life to change what I thought I wanted to do when I give him that authority. In other, in other words, when a hard moment comes, that isn't the time to question God. That isn't the time to get angry at God, even though we can ask God questions. God can handle our questions. We can, we can yell at God and scream at God, and we can tell God how disappointed we are, and he can handle that, and that's okay. But when we do that... Be ready for an answer. Be ready for an answer to come and to say that my grace is sufficient, that I'll get you through this time. If you trust me, if you hold on to me, I'll get you through this. See, God allows the hard moments to come to develop us into the godly character he wants in our lives. He wants to make us better. He wants to make us better through the times that come. Paul understood all about the hardness of the moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, our, 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 our text today, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And this is what I want to focus on this morning is how we allow that, how we live each moment with a godly future so deeply implanted within us that we truly can understand and learn and understand what it means to live in the moment, whether it's a happy moment or a horrible moment. As long as we have Paul as our example, and that we are living our life for Jesus, that we are, we are bent on him and we are focused on him. That's so important for us to understand that. Let me ask this question. Do life's moments define our future, or does our future define our life's moments? Let me ask it again. Do life's moments define our future, or does our future define our life's moments? Well, the question is, it all depends on what your future is. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul gives us the answer. The next verse. Look at verse 18 of chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So the answer to the question is, it depends on what am I setting my future on. If I'm setting my future on the things that are seen, 
that I'm setting my future on the things that are temporary, the things that are changeable. Or if I'm setting my, things on, my eyes on the things that are unseen, then my, my moments are based on things that are eternal. How I live in the moment is really dependent on how I look at the future. By fixing our eyes on the unseen eternal things, we are enabling the future to define our moments. By fixing our eyes on the unseen things, or by fixing our eyes on the eternal things, we are enabling the future to define our moments. Very important distinction. As long as my eyes are fixed on Jesus, which is what? The unseen and the eternal. The moments of life, even though they can be very hard, they can be very traumatic, they can be very life-changing, they don't have the power to knock me off course. Nothing can knock me off the course as long as I have my eyes focused on Christ. But as soon as I take my eyes off of Jesus and place them on the physical world, place them, to things, place them on the things that I can see, then the moments of life have more power to rack my world more violently. When I take my eyes off Jesus, all of a sudden the world can upset my apple cart really quickly, can it? Whereas if I'm more concerned about Christ, if I have my heaven, if I have heaven as my end point and I'm committed to live a life according to God's word like Paul did, no matter what happens, when I've committed to live my life that way, then when the unsettling things of life come against me, I'm much more at peace with them because I'm not letting the moments define my future. Rather, my future established in the word of God is, is defining my moments. Whereas if I'm more concerned about life that I can see with my physical eyes, then the hard moments of life can be much more unsettling for me and my life's course can go wildly out of control. In other words, if I'm more concerned about, do I have enough money? Um, am I going to keep my job? Is my house big enough? Is my health going to last? You know, if, if, I'm, if I'm more concerned about the things of life that I see more than on the things that I can't see, like the eternal things of God's word, I'm more susceptible to be tossed and turned by the, emo by the moments of life. We need to believe what Jesus says. We need to read God's word and believe it. Jesus gives us a great verse that we can focus in on. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, was the verse that Janine started off with this morning in Sunday school, actually. It says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, you have to go back and read what was before this. Jesus was understanding that we all have needs. And the pagans and the, sinner and, the, and the Christians alike all have needs of life. And he promises us that if we focus on him first, if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then he will provide all the other needs that we have for our life. He will provide them for us. But if I focus on what my physical eyes see, if I focus on what I can create for myself in this world, then I'm going to lose out on the eternal things. So we need to have this eternal imprint in our life that, that says that we're living for our future and our moments are defined by our end goal. Our moments are defined by our future, not the other way around. Our moments in life don't define us. So important. Listen, our moments in life don't define us or define our sense of purpose Rather, our end point 
of life, our eternity, gives us the stability to ride through the unsettling moments. Here's one thing about moments that we all like, and that is they pass quickly. Moments pass quickly, no matter how bad they are, especially in the light of eternity. Now, a bad moment might stretch into a few hours, a few days, maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months. But in the light of eternity, it goes quickly. It goes quickly by. There's no comparison in eternity with moments. That's why it's so important to understand who defines what. What defines what? Our eternity defines our moments, not the other way around. But let me ask the question. Let me stop here for a second. Are the unseen eternal things only good, or can they also be bad? Are they only good? This is a very important point that we need to understand. We need to explain this a little bit. Because hell is unseen. Hell, like heaven, is unseen. Both are eternal. Both are eternal. Very important. It's no, and, and, and I don't think anyone here would say that we set our intentional goal to go to hell. I don't think anybody here, you go to the world, and I don't think they're going to say that. If they do, they don't understand what hell's about. If they say that, they're thinking that hell is a place of partying. I'm just going to go party with my buddies. We're going to have a big eternal party in hell. Well, if that's their definition of hell, then maybe that is their definition of where their end point is. But that's not what the Bible says at all, does it? So if hell isn't an intentional future goal, how does one get there? If it's not the intentional goal of a person, assuming that they know what hell is all about, and you know the Bible talks a lot about hell. Do you know that? We don't talk about it very much in, from the pulpit, do we? It's not a very popular subject anymore from pulpits that, that preachers would talk about hell, fire, brimstone, all the bad stuff about being separated from God and the eternal punishment. We don't talk about that very much. But it's eternal. It's unseen. It's real. It's coming. No matter what I think about it, so the question is, if hell is not my intentional future goal, how do I get there? The answer is by not making heaven the intentional goal. Our default destination is hell. So if I don't do anything, I'm going to hell. I'm sorry, I hate to say it that way. I wish the default destination was heaven. It would make life a lot easier for all of us, wouldn't it? But that's not our default destination. Our default destination is by doing, if I do nothing, I'm going to hell. Sorry to say that. That's just the way it is. The only way a person makes heaven their future goal is to intentionally make it the goal by accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior then, then, and then living a committed life in the moments of living. That we live a committed life in the moments of life, good or bad, that we know that our, lives aren't, our future is not going to be shaken by the moment. There must be that intentional commitment of living a sold-out life for Jesus regardless, regardless of what the moments of life bring. And here's the reality, guys. The reality is life is hard. Life is hard for everybody. Life is hard for everyone. Whether you're a saint or a sinner, life is hard. Jesus tells us in Matthew that he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Storms are going to come in your life whether you're a righteous man or an unrighteous man. It doesn't make any difference. The moments of life don't get easier when you accept Jesus. Can I tell you that as well? That life isn't just all of a sudden going to turn around and be rosy just because you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. But, 
but, but, but, the end result changes and gets better beyond our imagination. In other words, your end result by knowing Jesus is a tremendously different outcome than by not knowing Jesus. But the difficulty of the moments don't change. I know we don't like to hear that either. We like to think that when I accept Jesus Christ, all of a sudden life is going to be easy. The big eternal staple easy button, I can press that and life becomes easy. And everything's good. Well, that's not the case. And sometimes I know that we have a, we have a in our good intentions, in our good intentions of, of witnessing, we will go to people and we will tell them that. We'll say, you know, if you accept Jesus Christ in your life, life's going to be better. Life's going to be good. Life would be easy from then, for them from then on. But, you know, if I say that, I'm in fact lying to them because that's not true. There's nowhere in God's word that says life's going to get easier when I have Jesus in my life. But I can, detail, but I can tell you this. It's going to be worth it in the end. My end goal is going to change. Jesus doesn't necessarily change the circumstances or the hard moments in life, but he does make them worth it in the end. You hear that? Isn't that? That is so important that we understand that, that, that we don't put a false impression to people that life's going to become easy when you accept Jesus. But it is going to be worth it when you accept Jesus. It's going to be worth it in the end. James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the one that perseveres under trial. Now, what trials is, is James talking about? What trials and tests uh, is he talking about that every Christian will go through, and why is it important that we know that? Well, let's look at 1 Peter answers the question for us. All right? James gives the question. 1 Peter gives the answer. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven. Let's stop there for a minute. That we are given a hope through Jesus Christ, and we're given an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That's an awesome promise. Can we grasp that? Can you grasp the inheritance there? It will never perish. It will never go bad. It will never fade. And this inheritance is kept for you. Where is it kept? Is it kept on earth? Or is it kept in heaven? It's kept in heaven. And then we, who, then we will be shielded, it says in verse 5, in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be, ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, here's, here's the point. Here, guys, listen to this. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, even though gold perishes as refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
Amen. <laughs> Amen. I mean, that, if you're having a bad day, go back and read First Peter. Go back and read that scripture a few times. Go back and let First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, let it settle in your heart. Go back and reread that a few times, and I guarantee you, your day will get better. The moments may not change. Your circumstances may not change, but your end result will help you get through those moments. Jackie, if you'd come, and as we prepare to close this morning, I just want to encourage us this morning to, to recognize that, that we are in a life that, of, of, that is upside down. And it's always going to be upside down. It's not going to get better. We're not going to move into a, nar, a, 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 nar, um, a paradise here on this earth. It's not going to change. It's only going to get worse. And, but that's okay as we recognize where we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> in our moments, in our moments do not define us. As we look ahead to the year 2015, we don't know what it's going to hold. We have no idea what 2015 is going to hold. It could be good, it could be bad, we don't know. But I do know one thing that gives me an encouragement. I know that this is not my home, that this earth is not my home. I've been reading a book, and I've told you about it before, a, bo a book written by Dean Braxton titled In Heaven, and this is a story of Dean's life and death. Dean died for an hour and 45 minutes and so went to heaven. He came back, and this is the thing that he recognized. He and many others have had a similar experience of this, but this is out of his book. He says, when I was there, when I was in heaven, I knew that I was passing, I was just passing through down here on earth. It was great to really know that earth was not my home. I've always felt that this was not my home, but when I was in heaven, I knew beyond a doubt that I was just passing through on earth. It seemed to me that this earth was just a small part of the big picture, a very small part. But we seem to think and act as if this is the only part. And then he goes on to say, this is not our home. This is the only desire of our Savior to all mankind. God himself wants all of us to know that this is not our home and we are only passing through. We will outlast every problem we have here. We are all going to leave this earth someday. We will, leave, we will live on, either in heaven with God or in hell where everything is wrong, but we are going to have to leave. I want you to be encouraged with that word today. No matter what's going on in our life, that this morning, the moments that you're living through are not defining your future. Your past is not defining your future. What's defining your future is your belief in Jesus Christ. And by you holding on to him as your Lord and Savior, that is defining your future. And with that comes eternal life, eternal happiness, eternal joy, eternal peace. And when I have that in my life, it makes my moments more bearable here on earth when they're not so good. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you are to us. We thank you, Jesus, that you really are in the moment. But more importantly, Father, we know that you are in our future. And when I hold you in my future, when I recognize that you are my future, that the moments of life do not rock me like they used to. They don't, do not impact me like they used to. That, Lord, yes, I still need you. I need you more than ever, actually, Lord. I, I, my life can be difficult, but God, 
But God, help me to understand and help us all here to understand this morning that as we base our, our life, our life's moments, as we base them on the future of who you are in our hearts and our lives, I pray, God, that you will just give us peace beyond what we can even begin to understand. Father, we're so thankful. We're so thankful for who you are. And God, now we just come in and we just are asking you to have everything in our hearts and our lives. Lord, Lord, Father, we just come and we just say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercies and your grace. Amen. This morning, if this is a new message to you or if this is something that maybe has hit you at a different spot in your heart and you want to know more about this Jesus, you want to know more about what this means, it's important that we understand that we need to take some actions here. We need to count the cost a little bit here. Next week, we're going to talk about what it means. We're going to talk about what it means to count the cost of our moments. And then what does it mean to press forward? But I just want to give everyone an opportunity this morning. If you want to know Jesus closer, or if you want to know him for the first time, I want to spend some time with you after service. I want to, I want to spend some time with you. I'm going to stay up here at the front. We're going to dismiss in a minute. We're going to sing a song and dismiss. We're going to go to fellowship. But this morning, I, I just don't want to say, let's just raise your hand and be good. No, I, I want to talk to you. And, and I, want to be, I want to spend some time with you because it's important that we understand what it really means to give our life to Jesus. Father, thank you. Just go with us throughout this day now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.